Well, have you ever known somebody that was a great gift giver? Somebody that when they were at Christmas, maybe they came over for the family Christmas gathering, you knew somebody was getting an amazing present. Somebody, maybe it was a company Christmas party and you're doing the, the white elephant uh, little Christmas gift exchange and you just wanted to get that person's gift. Great gift givers are awesome to be around. I met the greatest gift giver that I've ever met my entire life in college. Uh, now, because we were in college, we were absolutely broke. I was a little bit older than the rest of the normal aged college students, went through college a little bit later in life, and so we meet in college. He doesn't have a job. He becomes an intern uh, in our student ministry at church, which means he really didn't have it. He just worked a lot and didn't get paid very much for it. But it, I, think, I think it was the lack of money that really led this person to being a great gift giver. When you think about the qualities of a person that is a great gift giver, I would argue that there are two main qualities of that person. The first is the quality of their gift, but it's really the quality of their gift and how much they know you and how much they know what you're like and how much they know what you want and how much they know your interests, your hobbies, the things that you need, what you are desiring at that time of the year. And this person because of their lack of money, I knew that they, didn't, they weren't just going to go out and buy something, but they were going to spend some time. It was going to be handmade. It was going to be some craft that they were working on, some hobby that they had learned. And there was, there was going to be time that was poured into that gift. And every single gift that this friend of mine gave to me, they always came with the card. And the card on the outside always just had one word. This person was really big on words. They were going through Greek and, and Hebrew classes, and um, most of the cards were in English, so I could actually read them, which was very nice. Um, simple English, too, which is much nicer. And they had a word on the outside, and on the inside, it would explain why he put the word on the outside of the card, and it was so encouraging. And it meant so much to me. I, I still have every gift that person ever gave me. I still have every card. And when I'm ever needing encouragement, I go back and I look at those cards. But it was always the amount of time that person spent on that gift. It was always the quality of the gift that they gave. But that quality was based off of how well that he knew me. And it meant the world to me. Today, we look at God as a great gift giver. And I would argue that the same is true for the gifts that he gives except they are of the highest quality, and that God knows us better than anyone. He knows exactly what we need. And so today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. This is all one idea that Paul is stating in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. This is the biggest Pauline run-on sentence that we could see. In Greek, there is no commas. There's really no punctuation until you get to the end of a sentence, and then there is a period. And so Paul is just blabbing. He's like oh, oh, an excited little kid, all right? Think of when your kids come up to you after school, something really good happened, and they're just... That's what Paul was doing this morning. And everything that Paul is talking about is about how great God is, about how blessed God is. God the Father, blessed be God the Father. And everything falls under this umbrella of how good he is. And everything he states in verse 3 all the way to 14 backs that statement up. Blessed be God the Father. And so 
Paul is excited. He's excited to get this out. He doesn't take a breath, but we, for the sake of time, and you possibly coming back to this church ever again, we will break this up into three verses instead of the 11 that it could have been. 12. (laughs) Scripture this morning, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. I've heard the scripture also described as fudge. And fudge is dense, it is rich, it is sweet, and you can't eat too much of it at one time or you will get sick. You should eat it and you should savor it, and that is exactly what this scripture is. It is sweet, it is rich, it is dense. And the first thing we want to pull out of this this morning is our first point. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. God is a giver of great gifts. God is a giver of great gifts. So how do we know it's God? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32, we see that God, when he gives gifts, he will not hold back from us. He will not hold back from his children. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gives it all all away. He's not holding back anything from you as his child. God gives it all away down to the life of his very son, out of his love for who? Who is he giving the spiritual blessing to? Who does he outpour his gifts upon? Who is he not holding back from? That is us. Who is getting these gifts? It says he has blessed us, and us is the saints. We are the saints. We are the faithful, those who have put their trust in Jesus to be their Messiah, to be their Lord, followed him as master, trusted him for the forgiveness of their sins, to make them clean before a holy God. So who is receiving these gifts? It is us. We see that God has blessed us now, and he has blessed us forever with this spiritual blessing. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were once heathens are now saints. We who were sinful are now saints. We who were without parents are now adopted, as we will see. So the question is now, what gifts does he give us? And we get the answer for this in verse 3 of Ephesians 1. And we receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You might hear that and say, okay, what does that mean? That's a little cryptic. So what is this spiritual blessing? So let's break that down into two parts. We'll continue this on next week a little bit too. We see that the first part is broken down for us in verse 4 where it says, even as he chose us. So we see that the first part of the spiritual blessing is that God chooses us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless and uh, holy and blameless before him in love. 
Now, when it comes to the choosing of God and choosing the elect or the predestined, there are mainly two thoughts. Jacob covered these a few weeks ago. We'll just briefly touch on them this morning. Um, if you're, if this is this is some kind of theological bull, you've got to grab it by the horns. There's one horn, and that is Calvinism. There's another horn, and that is Arminianism, or you could say predestination and free will. Three main views is what I would like to present today, so we'll kind of split those two horns down the middle in a second with something called Molinism. But Calvinism is the idea that God ordained every future event before creation. God selected only certain individuals for salvation based on nothing good or bad within the person. God chooses the pre-selected people's hearts to love God. God's saving grace is irresistible, and Jesus only died for the ones who he had pre-selected for salvation. And so that is Calvinism, that is predestination. There is no free will within that. But then you swing all the way to the other side of the spectrum into something that's called Arminianism, or free will. Free will, or Arminianism, is God sees the future, and he knows who will respond to the gospel and be saved God enlightens sinners first, thus granting them the same freedom of choice that Adam had in the beginning. People can either accept or reject Jesus. Jesus died for all people, not just the elect, but it only applies to those who respond in faith. And so we have free will, where, where God doesn't have any say in us, and he just knew that we would choose him before time, so therefore he chooses us, or something like that. And then you have predestination, where it's completely out of our hands, and God predestines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, and maybe we receive salvation, maybe we're damned, and then there is Molinism. And I would say that this is a marriage of the two, and this is a beautiful, a beautiful idea of what God could have been about before the beginning of time, and that is that God knows every possibility of every circumstance and every difficult choice a human might make. God chooses to allow only one of these potential choices to occur, or he knows which one is more likely to occur. God maneuvers people's circumstances to cause people to make certain choices. Now, the thing that sets Molinism, apart from Arminianism or uh, Calvinism, is this idea of middle knowledge. And so from the article, what is Molinism and is it biblical? We get the definition of middle knowledge. And middle knowledge is God's knowledge of what a free creature would do in any given, given circumstance. This knowledge consists of what philosophers call counterfactuals or creaturely freedom, choices that people make. These are facts about what any creature with a free will would freely do in any circumstance in which it could be placed. This knowledge, like natural knowledge, is independent of God's will. Using middle knowledge, Molinism attempts to show that all of God's knowledge is self-contained, but it is ordered so as to allow for the possibility of man's free will. In other words, man is completely free, but God is also completely sovereign. He is absolutely in control of all that happens, and yet humanity's choices are not coerced. According to Molinism, God's, um, God omnisciently knows what you would have been like had you lived in Africa instead of Australia, or had you been in a car accident that paralyzed you at age nine. He knows how the world would have been changed had John F. Kennedy not been assassinated. More importantly, he knows who would 
choose to be saved and who would not in each of these varying circumstances. All boiling down to this. Accordingly, it is out of this middle knowledge that God chooses to create. God has middle knowledge of all feasible worlds, every possibility, and he chooses to create the world that corresponds to his ultimate desires. Therefore, while a person is truly free, God is truly in control of who is saved and who is not saved. That's an awful lot of words. That's an awful lot of definitions. I would like to break it down like this because I'm a simpler person, and I also really love Marvel and the Avenger movies. And so if you think of it, think of it like this. If you have seen Doctor Strange and the Avengers Infinity War, you see that the Avengers were just defeated by Thanos on the planet Titan. All right, Iron Man, Star-Lord, Spider-Man, Thanos has just gotten the final Infinity Stone. And Doctor Strange is racking his mind, going through one of 14 million different realities, trying to figure out how the Avengers can come together and finally defeat Thanos. And in the very end, he figures it out. He pulls it all together, and ultimately, that is what Molinism is, is God seeing every outcome that we could make in this reality that actually is every choice that we do make, every choice that we could have made, and he is weaving it together for his good and for our good and what he is ultimately doing in the larger story of what he's up to in the universe. And so then that comes with another question, well, when did all of this take place? And we get an answer for that at the kind of second part of verse four there, and it is before the foundation of the world. We see that before we were ever created, before there was an earth, before there were heavens, and God existed on the other side of infinity. If this is a start, if this is the end, God existed all the way out there, and he continues to exist all the way past the end of this. God is infinite. And at the beginning of infinity, wherever that is, whatever that is actually like, we see that God decreed good things for us long ago. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And this wisdom before the ages leads to us being called, leads to us being saved. And we see that 2 Timothy 1, 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We're talking about a lot of really complex concepts here, really complex constructs. John Stott says this, and I think this kind of closes it out perfectly. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election. Every single one of the, the different camps we talked about, whether that's Calvinism, whether that's Arminianism, whether that's Molinism, all of these have biblical backing. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election, and we should beware of any who try to systematize it too precisely or rigidly. It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains of Christendom for centuries. At the end of the day, however it came about, salvation is our gift through God's choosing. You have been chosen by God, however that looks like, whatever that looks like, whenever that actually took place, God has chosen you if you have put your faith in him. Charles Spurgeon has a, a quote where he says, 
God saves the elect. And I pray that after the elect are saved, that he will continue to elect even more. Let's keep them coming. God, keep choosing these people. Keep bringing salvation. Keep bringing the lost and making them found. Keep bringing them into unity in you through Jesus. Ultimately, when it comes to the gift of salvation, we don't have to know the why or the how of God's choosing. But when it comes to us as believers, we accept that gift because we will never know the infinite wisdom of God within our finite minds. So what we do know is that our salvation is summed up beautifully in John 3, 16 through 18. A lot of times we just stop at 16, but it gets more beautiful as you go. It reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But it doesn't stop there for us. That's one of two gifts that we are going to be looking at today. God did not just save us and leave us alone. God didn't just save us and leave us in isolation, but God saved us by adopting us. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself. And what we see is this is a gift that keeps on giving. This is a gift with sub-gifts. This is a, a gift that's it's a cardboard box and it's wrapped really nice. And you open it up and there's more gifts on the inside of it. He adopted us and in adoption we have privilege. It is only by being adopted through Jesus into God's family the verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 1 come about. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. It is only, it is only as adopted children that we have free access to God. It is only as adopted children that we can confidently go before God and not feel dirty and messed up and broken because as believers with free access, we have been made clean. I love my girls so much. And because I am a loving father, my girls have free access to me. Anytime my girls come before me, I am not judging them based off of silly decisions, silly mistakes that they have done in their past. And they're only five and seven. I realize they haven't had a whole lot of time and really had a whole lot of time to scheme up a lot of really dumb decisions that they can make. Now when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, they're, they're going to have a lot more sin in their life. They're going to have a lot more things I could hold against them. But as a loving father, while I'm not forgetting the past things because that's not wise as a parent, I am not operating in our relationship by holding those things against them. Why? Because I love them. And because I love my daughters, they can come to me with anything, with whatever, at whenever time. My girls can talk to me. That is the beauty of our relationship. And that is the beauty of our relationship with God through Jesus. We are adopted. You are not left out alone you are not abandoned. God is there with you. The presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He is present in your life. You are a son. You are a daughter. 
So we've only opened two gifts so far. I, I'm kind of one of those people, I want to see like everything under the tree. Is it all wrapped in the same wrapping paper? Well, how, how many of these gifts have my name on them? I get a little selfish around the holidays. So let's selfishly just take a peek at all the other gifts under the tree. What we will cover next week is the forgiveness of sins. We see that in Ephesians 1.7. The next gift, we see that God makes his mystery, the mystery of his will, made known to us. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, we'll cover that next week. We see that we have an, a heavenly inheritance. We have a spot in heaven. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit until we get to heaven. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, and we see that we have every gift of the Spirit. 2 Peter 2, 1, 3. God didn't just give us gifts he didn't just give us this great gift of spiritual blessing for no reason. What we see today is that his presence have purpose. Second point this morning, God's presence have purpose. So what are the purpose of these presents? Why have we been given these great gifts? And I would say the, the purpose, number one, is to be holy and blameless. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Remember, he chose us before all of this was ever even started. He chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the purpose for being chosen. Now, let's get that straight. This is the purpose for which God has chosen us. This is not the grounds for which we have been chosen. We see that we did not earn any of this. It is solely God's grace and mercy that he pours us out. As, as we read earlier, we are, it is lavished upon us. He pours it out in his choosing of us so that we can become holy, so that we can become blameless. This means that we were not already holy. This means that we were not already blameless because we were marred by sin. We were broken by sin. Being holy, being blameless, this is a goal of being a Christian. This is a goal of being a little presence of Jesus within this world. This is not something that is optional. This is something that becomes who we are. This is our identity. We are holy and we are blameless in Jesus. And this is parallel to being adopted as God's children. We look up to our Father God, and we imitate everything that He does. And as a father, as we talked about briefly last week, when we step out of line, God and His love will discipline us. We are being loved. We are being disciplined. We look to Him so that we will be created. We will become more in the pattern of Jesus. We will die to ourselves. We will become more like Jesus. And all of this has an end result. When you look at what holy means, it means to be morally pure. This is a set-apartness. We are set-apart in service to God. We are set-apart from sin. And we are placed in service to God with a purpose. That means that we distance ourselves from the sin in our lives. We distance ourselves from the sin in our past. We remove ourselves from the presence of sin in the present. And we set ourselves up to avoid sin in the future. But we are not just holy and set apart in service to God. We are also blameless. This means that we have freedom from the guilt of the sin that we once committed. This means that we have been made clean. And so as we are holy, as we are blameless, it's time that we started to operate like that. It's time that we started to think like that. Instead of walking around as Christians that are in chains, 
because the devil is throwing lies at us and he's saying this is who you are and we believe who he says we are. Instead, we believe who God says we are because he's chosen us. He has chosen us. There we go. Finally got it. And he has adopted us. We are holy and blameless. The second purpose is his will and his will as we see in Ephesians, is to unite everything to him. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So what is his will? We see that Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, we cover this again, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we have been adopted to experience unity within him and to one day experience unity in full between us and God, between us and all of creation. This means no more awkward Christmases. This means no more fights between the family at Christmas. I cannot wait for that day. Purpose three, is to praise him, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And this shows us that the way that we bless God for the way that he blesses us, those are two different things. God blesses us, and when God blesses us, it requires a blessing from us back to God. With every good act of God toward us, there should be a good act, a good word from us back to God. Every gift from God requires true gratitude from the believer. And I'm not talking about just a hollow, heartless, hey God, thank you, or praise God, glad there's no traffic today on the way to work. Anytime something little goes our way, I'm talking about something that is true. Even the enemy can say, praise God. Even the devil could say, blessed be God. The importance comes in the truth of the gratitude that we give back to him. I've always had this, this problem at Christmas time. What do you get somebody that gives you a gift that you can never repay? What do you get somebody that gives you a gift that you can never give them a gift even close to what they got you in return? Sometimes just a heartfelt thank you is enough. And so as we look at the gifts of the spiritual blessing that God has given us, as we look at these three different purposes within these two gifts, we know that we can never repay God. And so from the bottom of our hearts, by the actions in our lives, we say, God, Thank you. So again, what are the purposes of the spiritual blessing? It is to take us from heathen to holy. It is to take us from broken to blameless. It is to take us from apart to together. It is to take us from receiving gifts from God to giving gratitude back to God. But there's one key component in all of this that we cannot leave out. The purposes are only able to happen because of one person. And that is Jesus. Every blessing is through the beloved. Third and final point this morning. Every blessing of the spiritual blessing is through the beloved. We see in verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Jesus is the means by which we receive these great gifts. These great gifts had a great price tag, and Jesus paid that price with his life in order that we could be bestowed these spiritual blessings, these presents that have purpose, all of that who has blessed us in Christ. Every bit of this in Jesus. We see that we are chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the person in whom we have been chosen. That means that there is no salvation apart from Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other person. There's no other God that can save but Jesus. He is the way. And then in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That means we went from homeless. We went from being orphans to being adopted because Jesus's work on the cross was the signature on our adoption papers. Now, because of Jesus, because of him being the ultimate sacrifice, because of him making us clean and taking our sin, because we were blemished and broken, he took our sin. He became blemish. He became sin so that we could receive his righteousness. Because of him, now we have access to the Father. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, he paved the way so that we could be put in right relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And finally, in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is through God's grace that we have been blessed in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So we think about the gifts that God has given us this holiday season. We think about the gifts that we can never repay, and let us be full of thanks. Let us be full of gratitude. Let us look to Jesus as the means by which we receive these things and let us give our praise to the Father. Let us give our praise to the Son and let us accept the work of the Son so that we can receive these gifts from the Father. End with Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. I hope this sounds familiar by this point. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, again, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. There's nothing we could do to earn this. It's all Jesus and God's grace upon us through his work. Let's pray.